The date is Friday, October 22nd, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. In this episode, we're talking about the horrific mind of Mike Flanagan. Well known for his critically acclaimed series like The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and the more recently released Midnight Mass. We'll go into why we think these are cinematic masterpieces and so much more. So enjoy. Welcome to your favorite show on the internet, encapsulating all things entertainment. You already guessed it. To entertain this. I hope that that didn't make people feel like their internet was choppy or that the streaming service they were using was bad. That was a bad choice on my part, but I'm I'm really just like <laughs> every week I'm walking this thin rope of how to creatively introduce the podcast. And I get that I could just do it the same every time and create like a standard brand, but that's no fun. So I don't want to do it that way. Yeah, because if there's one thing we're here to do, it's have fun absolutely yeah absolutely that's the only thing yeah. we're here to do that's why sometimes we mm-hmm. get things wrong sometimes we get things yeah. so wrong that i know in the future if ever we have an audience that like tracks back our old episodes there might be a couple of things that just shut our show down like we're a ticking time bomb at this point for the internet right. to yeah, yeah. destroy <laughs> yeah 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 because when i say like we're here to have fun we just like we just happen to coincidentally sometimes make a good podcast yeah that sometimes is probably <laughs> like the party that sometimes is probably three out of every 100 yeah. and are you saying like we have yet to have a third have good episode but maybe today is the day um <laughs> The, sure hope so. <laughs> the month of October, one. it's been a while since I've given this spiel, but the month of October has so kindly gifted us a extra uh, Friday. I, it really does feel like it's been almost Ooh. a year since we've had this occurrence, but there are five Fridays in this month. So uh, we decided a long time ago when we pseudo hired Chloe as our fact checker that anytime... I say pseudo hired because we don't pay her, but we also don't get paid. So she's pseudo. She's at the same level that we're at. Uh, but we decided that the fifth month yeah. w- or the fifth Friday in each month, not not specifically the fifth month, would go to Chloe so that Chloe could host an episode on something she liked. And it just so happened to also fall in October, which is, of course, the spooky season. And if there's a fan of, of spookiness, mm. it is Chloe Price. Welcome, Chloe. Welcome, hey guys. Yo, what's, what's, what's up? Do we have to do your intro? Or are you gonna? <laughs> no, she's not fact checking, dog. No, not no. today. Oh, okay. Not today. I didn't do it last time either because I just popped in for fun. <laughs> 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 well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, as Alex said, I'm a big fan of the horror genre. If you know me, you know that. Why I you love like this? horror movies. Um, <laughs> Do you not like scary movies? You know, that's a nope. great question. Nick, you don't like scary Sorry. movies? I don't like being scared. Why? What, why are you some kind of an idiot? <laughs> yep. Okay. Wow. Okay. Next question. <laughs> okay, well, I can't... <laughs> I don't like particularly stomach the more gruesome series like Saw mm. or anything David Cronenberg makes, but just something about stories about monsters and outcasts and small town disappearances, abandoned hotels, being haunted by ghosts, whether they're real or imagined, yeah. it appeals to me. 
I find that contemplating my own mortality is is comforting. I get that. I get that. You know? Yeah. (laughs) We all have we all have to battle demons, real or imagined in our lives, and I just kind of feel like horror braces us for those battles. And I think that a man named Mike Flanagan would agree with me. Now, Mike Flanagan is the creator of a lot of things, but what I'm talking about today is three very popular limited series on Netflix. The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and his newest release, Midnight Mass. Now, he's also directed or wrote or worked on the technical side of lots of other movies and TV shows, but his one constant is horror. Everything he works on is within Mm. the horror genre. So I was really drawn to his stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, like... Any trailers or like Netflix ads for his shows, but um, nope, it was really popular was... a while ago. Yeah, Hill House definitely um, made a big impact on the internet, um, and I think it's because he understands the art of terrifying storytelling without being like heavy-handed or like grotesque. And he really values character creation, which is something I value because he makes these characters that you feel like you already know. Um, so a, a little, a little side thing, cause that's what I'm good at is pulling the podcast away from the actual topic at hand. Um, I Googled Mike Flanagan because that's what I do when I hear celebrities names to be like, I want to know what this person looks like. And he is almost definition. There's been this thing going around the internet where it's like cute, wholesome people make the darkest fucking art. And then the <laughs> cutest, wholesome art is made by the darkest fucking people. Have you guys seen this? Where it's like. One of the main examples was like there there was this anime um, that was like all in black and white and like the only other colors red and like it's these twisted figures with many different faces and um, it was made by this like wholesome little little Cheerio bean just like pop around all the pictures are like of him dancing and like smiling and like like anime cons and he's like doing the the faces and stuff and then it showed a Studio Ghibli artist and he's like smoking a cigarette and he like looks like just sad with his life and he's like everything is a fucking void nothing matters (laughs) yeah that's Ghibli Mike Mike (laughs) Mike Flanagan is the bubbly jumping around like everything's great like you look at him and you're like what a cute little guy and then he's very unassuming and then you see the stuff he does and you're like oh no there's something wrong with him he mows the lawn every so often and comes over to say hello this looks like a a guy that lives next to you like he kind of looks like what i expect nick to look like at my funeral at your funeral yeah when you plan on dying i don't know but i guess when you look like this i'll start worrying after you go bald, he's going to die. Yeah, it's, an, it's you, inevitable. The loss of your hair will kill me. <laughs> It'll kill me too, trust me. <laughs> no, I'm well, sorry, because I was laughing earlier because um, you said the haunting of Hill House and all I could think of uh, was Hank Hill and Bobby just... Damn it, Bobby. This is a Bobby. parody I didn't know I needed until you just willed it into existence. The haunting of Hank Hill's house. Yeah. The haunting of Hank Hill house. Are you using charcoal again, Bobby? <laughs> I don't know what's going on in that movie, but I know it's scary, and that's why I don't watch it. So nice. Yeah. Well, today. On this podcast, I would like to try to convince you to give any one of his three series a chance because they are some of my favorite horror content that I've yet seen. 
And I feel like it would be a great introduction to anybody who's not necessarily comfortable with the genre. Nice. Yeah. That's because his yeah. stories really are like more about the people who are involved in the scary stuff than the actual scary right. stuff. Like you're going to no. see some stuff you don't like, but it has purpose. Unlike a lot of other scary movies where it's like mm -hmm. this is to scare the audience it's like oh i have to know what just happened because it traumatizes the person and carries the plot forward right okay exactly okay. yeah that's it's, so true it's bestie. soft soft core <laughs> horror <laughs> horror well his first show that we've talked about a little bit the haunting of hill house uh it was his first oh. limited series on netflix <laughs> <Damn> it. <laughs> <laughs> it premiered on October 12th of 2018, so it's been a little bit. It is based on the 1959 novel of the same name by Shirley Jackson, and it is your basic haunted house story. It's based around the Crane family. They move in, and they're trying to flip this house. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what that means, it means you come into an old, gross house, and you, like, take out all the fixtures and you put in new ones yeah. and you like give the house new life. So that's what they're going to do. And then um, you rent it to some millennials and you do it to the next <laughs> house until you are a wage uh, stealing landlord. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not wrong. But this family is just like hanging on by a thread. Like all of their money is in this house. So it's not like they, they have anywhere to go. Yeah. Um, so the Crane family, when they move in, they start experiencing, you know, lots of paranormal shit. The kids start seeing stuff and hearing stuff. And the mom, who is very sensitive, she starts, you know, feeling like things are not good. Um, so the dad is Hugh. Uh, the mom is Olivia. They're played by Henry Thomas and Carla Gugino, respectively. Those names will come back up because something Mike Flanagan loves to do is recast people in new roles and let the actors, you know, reinvent themselves, which I think is really neat to see really talented actors kind of, you know, branch out in every new series. So there are five kids, Stephen, Shirley, Theodora, and then two twins, Luke and Eleanor. They call her Nell. Um, and there are some other characters, like there's a groundskeeper, his super religious wife, and their young daughter. Um, but this story is told in a nonlinear timeline, which is also something that's pretty common for Mike Flanagan. So we see the Crane family as the kids are like, I don't know, like 14 to 6 range, like the five of them. And then we see them later when they're all grown up having lived through the consequences of living in Hill House mm -hmm. and their mom having died there. Yeah, so, it's a lot like it chapter one and chapter two in the sense of like you get this story as their kids and then you get to see them come back as adults. The difference between that and Hill House, though, is that it intertwines like it interlaces. So you're getting basically told two different stories that have the same people in them, but you're getting it like one chapter at a time. It's very cool. Yeah. It is. You learn a lot about the characters watching them live in Hill House and live in their real lives now. And um, the circumstances under which they leave the house are very mysterious at first. Their dad, like, scoops them all up and takes them out to the car. And they're like, where is mom? Why isn't mom with us? And he just, like, carts them off to a motel. And then he comes back and he's covered he, in like, blood. He, like, leaves them there for, like, 48 hours, doesn't he? 
Yeah, well, and the kids I think are like, it's... "What was going on while you were at, like, while we were at the hotel?" Right. And he's like, "I'm so sorry." So he doesn't really ever tell them. So us as audience members are also left wondering what the hell happened mm-hmm. um, to the mom and what, like, why are these kids so traumatized? Um, and each sibling is kind of individually tormented by their own ghost or their own demon. Except for the oldest, Stephen. Um, the story, I would say Stephen is kind of our protagonist here. He had never seen a ghost in Hill House. He was the only person in the Crane family that never had a paranormal experience there. And when they move out and their mother dies years later, he writes a book about it. Um, which totally estranges him from his siblings. They're all pissed. They're like, how could you air our dirty laundry for the entire world, you know? Mm. Um, And in the first episode, we get to see Steven when he's all grown up. He sees his first ghost. Um, I won't tell you who it is. I'll let you figure it out on your own. But um, the other siblings, the next one, the next oldest is Shirley. Um, she is haunted by memories of a litter of kittens that she finds in the barn that then die inside of Hill House. She's also haunted by the ghost of her mother. Kind of a double whammy there. The next oldest daughter is Theo. She has the ability to touch people and sense their memories. So when Mm. the dad is dragging them out of the house, he picks Theo up and she suddenly has this image of her mother being like forcefully pushed against the wall and she's like, what the hell, dad? So, you know, then he doesn't tell them anything. And she's just left to wonder, like, did he do this? Mm-hmm. Is he at fault for her death? Something um, interesting about her that I, mm-hmm. I, I like is that her, like, touch memory powers, she doesn't control them. It's uh, inadvertent. If she touches something, she'll get memories from it. And because of that, she's like super standoffish as a character. Like that trait has developed who she is so much so that there are multiple times where she like she starts screaming, don't touch me. Don't like don't get near me. Don't touch me. Because when people touch her, like all of these feelings are forced into her. She actually wears a pair of like satin gloves all the time to keep like things from touching her skin so that she Hmm. doesn't have these outbursts. Right. Yeah, there's a very sweet scene where her mother gives her a pair of gloves and she's like, my mother was like you. When she would touch people, she would sense things. So if you wear these gloves, then it's up to you when that happens. You can make that choice by taking off the gloves. But when you're wearing them, it doesn't have to happen to you. Hmm. So she's a super interesting character. Um, I'm not sure she ever gets hugged the whole series. Um, I wouldn't want she that. She needs it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't touch me. <laughs> and then the youngest are twins, like I said, Luke and Nell. Uh, Luke is haunted by this tall man in a bowler hat and a coat, and you Slender never really man. see his face. <laughs> he he does, does have Slenderman vibes. For sure. Yeah, but he floats like a foot off the floor. Nope. Um, <laughs> and Nell, the youngest, is tormented by a ghost named the Bent Neck Lady. Oh, I love and that. When she's yeah, when she's really, <laughs> really <character>. young, she <laughs> first more. starts seeing her at the end of her bed, and she, you know she flips out as any little girl would, seeing right? some woman with a broken neck at the end of her bed. But her family doesn't believe her. They're just like. You had a nightmare. Sometimes nightmares can feel so real they'll spill over 
into real life and that's the trauma that's, she deals with is this gaslighting that her family is her. putting her through yeah. Mm. yeah so Nell's definitely um, the most tortured so over a span of 10 episodes in this limited series you watch the Crane family recover from their mom dying recover from divorce and addiction and you know family gaslighting and they kind of they they reform their relationships in a way because they've all been hurt by each other and hurt by the house and it's really beautiful i i do recommend it um it's a great first impression for mike flanagan and for his horror series in general um any other thoughts, Alex? I know you've seen it too. His uh, capability of, because the source material was mostly about that first experience, he added in the like years later thing, I believe, or he he definitely added in half the story, um, which half I'm a little foggy on. It's been a while since this has been like mainstream conversation, but yeah. He added in a good chunk of this story, though he took inspiration from the book and his ability of keeping horror a mystery is what's really impressive about the stuff that I think he does. And Hill House is like the perfect. Here's exactly what I'm talking about situation of that, because it almost feels like a haunted whodunit. Like you're trying to figure out who's the whole time you're unraveling these mysteries. Mm. Like what what happened to the mom? What's up with these kids? Why does this Mm. woman not like being touched? Who is the bent neck lady was a huge one that when I figured it out, I didn't figure it out until Mike wanted me to figure it out, which is nice because (laughs) I often find that I'm figuring things out too soon. (laughs) <laughs> but I didn't figure out who the bent neck lady was until Mike wanted. And when I figured it out, I was like, no! So, I went back and rewatched that scene like five times, just like, oh my God, this cannot be happening right now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the symbolism and the way that he talked about trauma without stigmatizing trauma is huge. Um, Especially because in, like, the horror genre, it's so easy to uh, make trauma this, like, ever-ending demon on your back. like And addiction, because yeah. Luke is in and out of rehab for the whole series, and that obviously puts a strain on his relationship with his siblings and his dad. But, you know, he's he's scarred and he's haunted, and he has this connection with his sister, who's also haunted, and, you know... Mm. This Terrible things happen, of, but he he has to find a way to get through it. Yeah. <laughs> this use of like uh this these addictions and like personal uh like traumatic experiences that they're going through had you constantly questioning like what is real and what is a uh visualization of what the character's going through. And that is constantly adding to the mystery of like what was Hill House. So it is very much like it's a show that you will enjoy, but it will also like stretch your brain. It's a brain exercise as much as it is like a very (laughs) well told story. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of like I like the premise so far. Yeah, you got me. You got me there. I like how it's not 
just this big old info dump of like, here's everything you need to know in the first episode. And then I would say it is, like is the, the, the slowest burn of any. <laughs> slow it is burn. a very, very <laughs> slow burn. It is burn. a slow burn. So it sounds like a lot of it is him just like fully like taking advantage of the medium of doing it through like an episodic series instead of like one big yes. movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think he was always meant for the episodic series because I've seen a couple of his movies and they're great, but he just, he's so good at setting things up slowly mm-hmm. and giving you little kernels and then making it all pay off in a big way. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love like to the think. A plot, B plot thing of like Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. You're like, okay, what's Jesse up to? What's, you know, Walt up to? And, mm-hmm. and it yeah. turns out what they're doing is directly related and they're like going against each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just always comes right together. Right. And then you get that one episode <laughs> at the end of the season where it ends on a cliffhanger. It's Yeah, that show is near perfect. I think uh, an important, <laughs> an important uh, tool to use when writing stories or when trying to write engaging stories is to look at it through the frame of like, cultivating a story like the same way you would cultivate plants yeah like you're gonna plant these seeds and you're going to slowly have the audience watch them grow and then you're gonna know when it's time to come to harvest and when you harvest (laughs) those it's gonna be satisfying for everybody who watched and i think mike is especially good at being able to tend to his garden of stories Mm -hmm. and have Mm -hmm. like rutabagas over here like lettuce over here and like some like carrots over here and then it all comes to harvest at its own time and nothing ever feels forced. yeah it's from from what you're saying it's like he is a master of Chekhov's gun like every everything that's going on in the series is done so with an exact purpose in mind to have payoff later on yeah if he shows you something it's because it matters Mm -hmm. yeah he will never do something just to dumb down the message he's trying to tell you right so then for his second show, Bly, The Haunting of Bly Manor, we're going to take Henry Thomas, um, let's see, Kate Siegel, Oliver Jackson Cohen, and Victoria Pedretti, and we're going to recast them. Nice, I like it. And at first, when like advertisements Very for The Haunting... Very American Horror Story-esque. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, when The Haunting of Bly Manor was first announced, I was like... Are these going to be the same characters? And I was a little disappointed when I found out they weren't going to be, but I was very, very wrong because every single one of these actors has the range to make something completely new. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Fly Manor premiered on October 9th of 2020. It is a vague adaptation of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, as well as some other elements from Henry James' stories that he kind of used twirled into this narrative. Um, Like The Turn of the Screw, it is about an au pair who takes a job in the English countryside, um, but this one, she's American, and she's escaping the tragic death of her fiancé by taking a job. Yes, I see some questions. (laughs) I have a dumb question. An au pair is a nanny. Yes. Oh, thank you. Oh, (laughs) I was about to ask that. How'd you know? I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm an uncivilized American. I do not know British words. I have ADHD, so I pick up on uh, micro-messaging, and you clearly didn't know what an au pair was, so I just wanted to clear that up. Put an au pair in the trolley. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, so Why this woman, Danny. Why would I want Danny, an old pair? Sorry. Old pair, huh? Gross. <laughs> Please continue. So this girl, her fiance dies tragically, and she just needs to get out of the country. So she takes a job working for the Wingrave family at their Bly Manor estate, taking care of their two young children. Only to discover 
that Bly Manor is just as haunted as her past. So um, we see um, Victoria Pedretti, who played Nell in the last season, now play Danny, our au pair. Um, her first days on the Bly property are met with lots of mystery. The two kids are very peculiar, um, and I'm not just talking about their accents. They're little weirdos. Hmm. <laughs> They're very strange. So the two kids are uh, Flora and Miles, and Flora collects these little talismans. They they look like dolls. She keeps them in a dollhouse, but none of them have faces, and they're all dressed um, very darkly. And um, one of the talismans, she tells Danny, used to belong to the former au pair, whose name was Rebecca, who died on the property. It's like one of the first things she learns is that she's replacing someone because she died here. You love to hear it on your first day at a job. (laughs) It's definitely going to bode well for the rest of your time there. A little creepy, but okay. I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Miles is a weird kid, too. He acts very uncharacteristically for a little boy. And on her first night there, both of the kids lock her in a closet overnight. Um, It's a fun little game. (laughs) Yeah. She's haunted by her own ghost, Uh, a specter with headlights for eyes. So she spends the night with him in the closet and, um, she's screaming. Yeah. She's not having a good time. So much screaming. (laughs) I wouldn't either Um, be honest with you. I'm locked in the closet and there's a specter. Right. So not only are the kids weird, but, um, every night she is starting to see these muddy footsteps tracking through the house that lead outside to the lake. And both of the kids are like, we're not doing it. I I don't know. You're just going to have to figure it out. (laughs) And the maid has to keep coming and cleaning them up. Yeah. I hate that for the maid because she's a very sweet lady. (laughs) (laughs) There are a few other employees of Bly Manor. There's Hannah, the uh, fiercely protective housekeeper. Um, There is a woman named Amelia who is the gardener and also Danny's love interest later. We love to see it. Um, LGBTQ representation. (laughs) A man named Owen who is Bly Manor's cook. And later we learn um, a man named Peter Quint who was formerly the executive assistant to Henry Wingrave who owns the estate and whose wife has tragically passed. And who is the Um, father of Flora and Miles. Right. He's their dad, but he's super busy being a businessman, so he can't take care of them. So he hires a bunch of people to do it for him. Okay. And that is the staff of Bly Manor. And they all get pretty close um, pretty quickly, which happens under mysterious and strenuous circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, And Danny starts seeing a man on the property. Like, one of the first nights she's there, she sees this man, like, right outside the window, so she calls the police and they're all like, there's nobody here. There wasn't anybody here. Maybe you're just seeing things. Classic, you know, police gaslighting. Um, <laughs> but she later discovers from some old pictures lying around that the man that she keeps seeing is Peter Quint, who was the former executive assistant. And she finds out was the former lover to Rebecca, the old au pair. So there is some drama there. The basic story with him is that uh, he was supposed to run off with the old uh, 
housekeeper or no, the old the old au pair before mm-hmm. she died. But he like disappeared and then she died. And basically they're like he killed her and then he ran off with the money. And now he's like back and he's like wandering around right. the property and they're like, what's going on? Yeah. So Creepy. does he come back to prove his innocence? Who's does he come say? back to kill again? Who's to say? <laughs> Stance trial for his crimes. But- This is another great example of Mike Flanagan setting cards up so that when they fall, everything begins to make a lot of sense. Mm. Um, But one element that I do want to talk about, it's it's kind of a spoiler, but since you haven't seen it, I feel like it won't wreck anything. I'll forget Um, it by the time I do see it. Yeah, probably. probably. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) Um, A new element that he kind of introduces to this series is the idea of possession by a spirit. So, you know, in Hill House, they were all haunted and tormented by these spirits. But in Bly Manor, these people who are dead, Rebecca, Peter, are able to inhabit the bodies of the children and make choices through them. Hmm. Um. You know, to to the detriment of all involved. Right, as as the, and, as it does. <laughs> right, possession another, is rarely a good thing. No, another. This is like the the nicest form of possession that I've seen, though. Like, it's not like oogie boogie, spooky, scary possession. It's like, hey, buddy, you and I are going to be on a team, and I'm going to sometimes use your body. And I think even in this case, like. Mike made a clear Mike Flanagan made a clear rule that like there has to be consent with possession. Like if you're going to be possessed, like you and the ghosts have to come to this agreement that it's going to happen um, or else it doesn't yeah. take or else it doesn't which is, work. They don't which bond. is it's a lot harder of a plot to go with than it ha- it has superpowers. It's just going to take you whether you want it or not. Right. Because it it lends itself to the ghost actually having to be a character with motivation and like have to have this like nice side as right. well. So something we see is Peter forming this relationship with Miles, the young boy, trying to like be his friend and understand him. And then when he comes back as a spirit, he's able to more easily convinced Miles, like, hey, I, I need your body. I have some business that I have to do. Um, but unfortunately, once Peter takes over his body, um, he does some shady stuff. And Miles doesn't have any control over that. So yes, he consents to Peter entering his body, but once he's in there, Peter can do whatever he wants. So I love this whole mm. idea of creating a system that requires even like the the evil spirits the evil ghosts to be multifaceted like they can't mm-hmm. just be like i'm evil stab uh, yeah exactly yeah. hey is it cool if i shove this knife in you or yeah. <laughs> i would i would even argue that there are no evil spirits in mike flanagan's that's universe. what i was gonna ask there are just only, misunderstood they're only like <laughs> yeah people who just so happen to be dead who have their own motivations and you have to see what they're willing to do to get yeah. those motivations because right. once you frame their actions in the span of like spiritualism and like the idea of like infinity for a ghost it's like i'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of their decisions become a lot more like understandable you know what morality is different when you're immortal i think (laughs) that this series actually questions 
what happens if you are a ghost for too long without moving on if i remember correctly like hmm. they actually do put a ticking clock on the spirit like if you don't do so such and thing. so you lose yeah. who you are and you just become like this walking husk of like spiritual energy um which is a super interesting concept another thing that i want to talk about about bly manor and chloe you might touch on this but I, i'm just going to bring it up is and and with it was with hill house too there is this clear separation between the uh the traditional pop culture understanding of a ghost and what mike flanagan does with the idea of a ghost um that being like if you think about like paranormal activity for example or like <laughs> the conjuring ghosts are these like spooky scary evil like only want to like they don't skinned. they don't care about the living they just want to like protect themselves or their eternity or like they don't understand what's going on they so they're being like aggressive or like <laughs> yeah or they're demons and they're bad and um i think mike flanagan does a better job at humanizing spirits and he does he does so well to even have you question like which of these characters are alive and which of these characters are dead? Like, I don't know who is a ghost and who isn't a ghost. And I don't think they know either. So the right. entire time, like once you're introduced to this idea that ghosts could just be regular people or like ghosts could even look and act like regular people, you start to question everything he does. And mm -hmm. that'll keep you on the edge of your seat throughout both series. Yeah, um, especially in Bly Manor. I think that's true. Everything is kind of, called into question whether it's real or not, mm -hmm. like whether Danny is just hallucinating. Yeah, and I think that kind of rode the coattail of Hill House because it was kind of the same there. It's like, are these actual ghosts or are these the traumatic experiences manifesting themselves in these people's right. psyche? So th right. th this seems to like... So I personally don't like horror movies, not because like they scare me, but because like... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, no, because for, for me, <laughs> sometimes they're real bad. Yeah, well, it's sometimes they're really <laughs> bad, but a lot of the times the issue I have with like horror movies in general is like I know I'm going to go see a horror movie, so I'm like mm -hmm. constantly on the lookout for like what's going to be scary, what is going to be like, how are they setting this up? You're like, looking to be scared, yeah, yeah. like I, I, yeah. I'm operating under that expectation, so I'm not like actually enjoying the movie, I'm just like. I'm, I feel like I'm trying to like look for a needle in a haystack the entire time. Um, but with sure. these series, you are so engrossed in the story and the people that yeah. the scary stuff is just intertwined and it takes you so much more by surprise. Right. I will <laughs> tell you there are those, there that. are still those crunchy moments throughout the series where like <laughs> you'll see something you don't expect yeah. or like you'll get a like jump scare randomly. Like those happen. <laughs> but happens. like I said, like I said at the beginning, like they happen because it, it it counts as representation of the trauma that the main protagonist that you're following is going yeah, through. Well, it, it yeah. has purpose. It's like you're, you're spending. And jump scares have to be earned. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like a, a jump scare should be like the uh, the crescendo at like a 30 mm -hmm. minute long musical. Like it like it's it's right. not something where it's Instead like. Instead of just being like. Yeah, ah, yeah it's like gotcha. five seconds of like music and then all of a sudden. Ah! Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of modern horror just kind of does that because they know that people will be like, oh, my heart rate increased. The movie did the thing. Right. 
You scared me. You've really but it can be so much better than that. Right. You made me ink. <laughs> another, another thing that I want to bring up uh, just before we move forward is that Mike is so detailed. I keep referring to him by his first name like we're friends. Mike we Flanagan friends. Is, is so detailed on his approach to these stories that the rewatchability is for sure there, mm. which isn't something that a lot of horror yes. movies have. Mm-hmm. But Because you're like, there, I already know what happened. Why would I want to rewatch it? There, Once you know what happens, you go back and it's like you're watching something completely different because That's he tells so you the he tells you the answers from the beginning. He never talks down to you or tries to hide his intentions. Mm. Like if you're watching right. and you're smart about it, you can tell from like the first episode what's really going on. It's even better if you have no idea and you get to the last episode and you figure it out and then you go back to the first episode with the knowledge you now have. And you're like, oh, my Which God, it was all here. It. Gotcha. Because I don't put pieces together. I just wait for it to unfold in front of me. And then I'm like, what? I never would have guessed. Yeah. For, for, the, for those that don't know, for those that don't know, Chloe hates puzzles. I you hate do? them. That's true. And she I won't is, put them together. Yeah. She is against puzzles Rebel. for sure. She'll sit there and wait for wait for the person who made the puzzle to put it all together for her so that she can enjoy the pretty picture. <laughs> Here comes Hasbro. <laughs> she had to uh, she had to sit through the first couple episodes of Mike Flanagan's newest series with me. And the entire time I'm like, oh, well, clearly this is happening. And this and this and this. Oh, yeah. And this. And the entire time, Chloe's like, I can't say anything <laughs> because I was basically guessing it at every turn because that's how I like to watch movies is like I want to figure it out before they tell me it feels like an escape room to me where I'm trying to get out before the hour mark hits <laughs> like when it happens I want to I, instead of being like whoa I want to be like yes that makes sense um, so that's well, how that I is watch a great, them that's a great segue to talking about his third series Midnight Mass this Midnight premiered Mass. on September 24th of 2021 so like Less than a month ago. Yep. Um, Alex yeah, we're hitting while the iron's the hot, baby. Just, Absolutely, just I, I haven't. I'm on episode okay. six, so please, okay. nothing past episode six. <laughs> you got it. Well, I'm hoping to make this a fully spoiler-free episode. Oh, I tried, I tried doing Except that. Except for some of the stuff we said about Bly yeah, Manor. Yeah, and I tried doing that last <laughs> week. It's very difficult. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. plenty of stuff that happens in Bly Manor that I did not even touch on. Oh, so. yeah. Um. That's the thing. They're so detailed. Like, I couldn't possibly tell you everything that happens. We could do separate um, episodes on all three if we really wanted to get spoilery about it. Yeah, but I'm just trying to convince you to them watch first. them. <laughs> and one of the great parts is trying to put these pieces together. Mm-hmm. So Midnight Mass, um, what Alex said was completely right. Watching this for the first time versus watching it again, there were so many things that I was like, he tells you from the very beginning, what his intentions were. And I just, I didn't know because I didn't know yet. Um, Hmm. But this story is about um, a small, isolated island community called Crockett Island, whose existing divisions are amplified by the return of a disgraced young man and the arrival of a charismatic priest. That excerpt is thanks to horror writer John Squires. Shout out, love your website. Um... This story, Midnight Mass, is very, very personal to Mike Flanagan. This is a story that he has been wanting to tell for years. Uh, Flanagan himself was an altar boy in the Catholic Church, and he has admitted to the media that he is a recovering alcoholic of three years. So elements of this story 
about a small island community wrapped around a Catholic church. Um, and our main character, Riley, who is a recovering alcoholic, is all very, very personal for Mike Flanagan. And I think it shows. It doesn't feel like a spoiler because it's like one of the first things that you see starting the show. But Riley mm-hmm. actually, um, he was in a drunk driving accident where he killed a teenage girl. And that's how like the series starts and he survives. And as he's laying there, he's like, she's going to be okay, Right. And they're like performing CPR on this girl. And the EMT who's working on him says or he like starts praying for the girl because he (laughs) comes from a really religious background, this island that's super religious. And the EMT says, hey, while you're talking to him, will you ask him why he always lets the drunk idiots like you live and always kills the kid? And then like. That sets the tone for who Riley is for the rest of the series. It's like because he completely falls out of religion in the four years that he's in prison um, before he gets put back on the island in the first episode. Um, Yeah. And he's like the very first thing you see is his trial, his incarceration and his returning to the island as Mm -hmm. like a disgraced man. Hmm. So imagine entering this super religious island where it's only like these hundred people who know you, you know them and they know everything about you. And they're all just like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And like you've come to the realization that you don't believe in God. Yeah. They always say it like that, too. Like, I'm going to pray for you. You'll be in my Thanks. Doesn't really do much for Riley because he came out of prison an atheist. Um, but he comes back to this island community and we see a new actor. His name is Zach Guilford. He hasn't been in any of these series yet, but we see some people that we recognize like Henry Thomas. He returns as Riley's father. Um, his he's playing the played- dad again. This yeah. is the third dad he's played. Plays a lot of daddies. He played the dad <laughs> in all three series. He is a dad in some way, shape or form. That's so true. Um, So it's Riley, his father, his mother, and his younger brother, Warren. And this is a fishing community. They mainly live off of the fish that they can catch out of the surrounding ocean. Mm -hmm. So his dad and his younger brother, Warren, run a fishing boat. And when Riley comes back from prison, he's kind of, you know, he takes up working on the boat as well. Um, We see Kate Siegel return as Aaron Green. Go ahead, Alex. Question. I wanted <laughs> to. In his I, I wanted to throw in that um, this fishing community, based around the Catholic Church, recently suffered from an oil spill that made all of the fish uh, inedible and basically destroyed their economy. And for that reason, like this island community is dying. It's down to like its last hundred people when it used yeah. to be like thousands. Like it was a, like five thousand people live there. Now it's down to like the last hundred. Mm-hmm. People have left in droves. Their economy was devastated. And the few people that are left there are old timers who have always wanted to be there. You know, they don't see anybody come to the island. So Riley's rearrival is very exciting. Uh, You learn that Aaron Green, who was his former girlfriend, is also back um, following the death of her mother. She moves into her old house and takes her old job as a teacher at the school. And her mother is um, also an alcoholic. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, and then that's a huge theme throughout this one. The, the big thing in episode one of Midnight Mass is that the church 
is eagerly anticipating the arrival of their Monsignor, Father Pruitt, from his trip to the Holy Land. They paid for him to go two weeks to go walk in Jesus's very footsteps. And now they are very excited to see him again. Everybody's like, woohoo, mass on Sunday. Father Pruitt is back. But um, along with the arrival of Riley and Aaron comes a new guy, Father Paul. He is this charismatic new priest who decides to shake things up on Crockett Island because Father Pruitt had an accident in Israel and is recovering in a hospital in the mainland. So he's like, I don't mean to surprise you. The diocese sent me, but I'm very happy to be a part of your community. And I hope that, you know, I can I can be a part of it. We can I just had a realization do some fun things. in the middle of this <laughs> podcast about this series that is so good, but it is spoiler ridden and I cannot say it. And that is such a shame, <laughs> but I would love to talk to you about it later, Chloe. Yeah, I would love that as well. <laughs> Can you talk in another room? Because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so Father Paul, he begins pulling these large crowds at St. Patrick's due to his moving homilies. And especially because of these unexplainable miracles that start happening in the church, um, hmm. as well as some unexplainable tragedies like uh, in the first episode, they're talking about this huge storm that's going to hit Crockett Island. So everybody's like, you know, battening down the hatches. They tie up all the boats. They turn off the power to the marina. And overnight, the storm happens. And the next morning, well, I suppose this needs some context, doesn't it? There's an island close by that is full of cats. It's just overrun by cats. Cool. Straight um, cat island. Which Sounds is like a apparently, good place. Yeah. Alex told me it's a real thing. It's based on a real story oh. of not a real story like it exists it's still is happening yeah. there's an island of like nothing but stray cats and people go there and visit the cats and like that's a thing that you can do yeah yeah that's pretty cool so it's called the uppers and it's where the youth of the town go to like smoke and drink and whatever mm -hmm. um but it's full of feral cats and this first night after this huge storm a bunch of dead cat bodies wash up on the beach inexplicably mm, lovely yeah um, I like that <laughs> and they're so, like is it disease like is it the oil from the water they were drinking it maybe that killed them and then they slowly right. come to realize that all of these cats have broken necks and there's no blood hmm. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right thank you yeah um that's not a huge spoiler. So, that's the first episode. They're no, like, I'm not that's saying, what's I'm not saying thank you as a spoiler. I'm saying thank you for that wonderful, lovely uh, description. Uh, <laughs> great it imagery. is hundreds of cats on a beach. Thanks, Alex. I needed more information. <laughs> he, Mike Flanagan hates cats. I'll say it. He hates cats. He's there killed is... cats in two of his series, and in the first one, it was kittens. So yeah, no. in Hill House, it's a litter of kittens that she finds, and they all die. Poor kitties. And there's this. He's there is this horrifying visual in Hill House that when it happened, I literally told Chloe to turn off the show. I was like, turn this off. Mm. I don't want to watch this anymore. I'll and come back to it later. I, I, yeah. I don't want to watch this. I've had moments of like that recently too in like other series and stuff mm -hmm. you know, where it's just like immediately yeah. like, mm -hmm. nope, I'm just not emotionally equipped to handle this right now. I can't do this no. right now. <laughs> That's what happened to me. And I was like, yeah. give me a day or two to process what I just saw and then I will come back and we will continue this series. 
And then I had to like when I turned the episode back on, I had to close my eyes until I got to a part that I hadn't seen yet. Geek. It's pretty horrifying. I can still see it in my head. Yeah, me too. It's fun. Um, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say that you shouldn't still watch them. No, you should. Worth it. You absolutely should. The suffering is worth it. (laughs) There is purpose behind the trauma. (laughs) Okay. And that's true of all of his series. Um, I don't want to go too much farther into Midnight Mass because we might start touching on spoiler territory. But what I will say about Midnight Mass is, um, like I said before, this is a story that Mike Flanagan has been wanting to tell for a super long time Mm. because it's so personal to him. And he's dropped Easter eggs in some of his other works about Midnight Mass. Um, There is a movie called Hush that him and his wife, Kate Siegel, co-wrote together. Uh, If you've seen it, it's wonderful. It is about a woman who uh, loses her hearing through a congenitive disease and she becomes a writer. And the book that she's touring um, during this movie is called Midnight Mass. And then... Um, he recently came out with a movie called Gerald's Game, which is absolutely horrifying. Um, but the character in that movie is trying to fend off a dog from eating her husband's corpse and in the process reaches for a copy of Midnight Mass. Yay. So has just been dropping little hints all through his works that this was a story that he wanted to tell. And I'm glad he got to. If I may have a final thought on Midnight Mass, um, though it is a horror movie, it does also follow the same trend of being about something bigger and using horror as a vehicle to tell that story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hill House was about trauma. Um, I think Bly Manor was about loss, if I can be fair. It's about dealing with loss. And... um, He continues on with that through Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass is about... um, temptation giving in to temptation and the power of temptation when it comes to like moral uh quandaries like whether or not i should do something or like knowing that something is bad but like that makes it more tempting or like Mm. um needing something so desperately and having it right there in front of you and being able to be like no i don't want this like the heavy themes of like alcoholism carry that weight as well as like the actual horror plot that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, these powerful like comparisons between what's going on and alcoholism. It's like each are beasts in their own, but they're also so similar and they need to be feared equally. Huh? Right. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. Is the best way to watch these movies in sequential order and like the way you all. Nope. Okay. <laughs> you can watch them in whatever order you want. Oh, okay, cool. And it's wow. not going to make like too big of a difference. Well, they're make all any difference. Seri- they're, they stand on their own. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess because like because of the nature of like how many Easter eggs and uh, like how potentially interconnected they can be. Um, okay, so you can watch them in whatever way, and you're going to get the same level of satisfaction. Absolutely okay, correct. Cool. Yeah. You, like Although, you're not gonna watch Hill House and then go watch like Midnight Mass and be like, oh hey, that's a reference to Hill House. They don't do that. Okay. Um they're like they're like standalone on their own. So like you can watch 
like Bly Manor and then you can watch Hill House and then you can watch Midnight Mass and it really won't matter. All right. I have one more question. Cool. If you had to rank them, how would you rank them? Like which one's best? Which one's the middle? Which one's the worst? Top five Mike Flanagan movies. <laughs> series. <laughs> um, I know my order. I think that for me, I would go Hill House, Midnight Mass, Bly Manor. That was my order. Nice. 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 Same okay. order. <laughs> um, now we know. They're all fantastic, but I think Hill House is the one that stuck with me the longest. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Midnight Mass is the one that kept me the most on the edge of my seat the whole time. And I think Bly, Bly Manor, Manor was also good. <laughs> it's so good. It's just that it's a bit more about like death and grief and loss and it's it's a bit more of a, a slow burn whodunit mm-hmm. like for the story of Bly Manor and what's happened to all these people um I would just, say it's softer somehow I would say and it's that... not just because of the lesbians <laughs> okay <laughs> nobody nobody said that but the... <laughs> I did <laughs> fair enough I know yes. somebody's to. gonna yes. Thanks, listen to this Chloe. episode and be like she's just saying that because of the lesbians <laughs> now someone for sure will um but i would say um i would say that midnight mass and hill house both do a slightly better job at including the audience in on the story mm-hmm. uh you feel more connected you feel more a part of it you feel more like you're there um while I would say that Bly Manor feels like you're looking through a window into somebody else's world and you're just like watching what's going on. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah. Because I think that Bly Manor focuses way more on the singular narrative while because you're just following the au pair's story and her mm-hmm. journey and she's figuring stuff out as she goes. And there are other right. characters that have their own plots, but it always harpens back to that one character. And there in terms is, of a non-linear storytelling, there's only one episode that actually goes back in time. Yeah. In in terms of like like Hill House and <clears throat> and uh Midnight Mass you get like eight different stories all happening at once. They're not hard to follow. Um, They're just all are being given equal attention as you're watching these things develop in front of you. So you feel like you're a part of the story because you're getting it from all angles, Um, which is a lot nicer. I don't think there's a whole lot of time jumping in Midnight Mass. I'm pretty sure that's like strictly linear with like storytelling flashbacks, but that's always narrated in the present tense. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're still able to kind of keep up with all of it. Right. (laughs) So Mike Flanagan, he, he loves to touch on a number of themes with pretty much everything he does. Um, Evil, death, dreams that haunt you, uh, family, addiction, painful memories or flashbacks, um, religion and how it can play into your fears and how you kind of picture your own morality, um, and ghosts, whether they be real or imagined. Those are definitely all things that I think haunt him himself and putting them out into the world helps him kind of deal with these demons. Um, (laughs) he's a very, 
prolific guy. His IMDb page has a number of credits on it. He's been a director, a writer, an editor, a producer, an actor, a composer, a cinematographer. He's worked in, excuse me, he's worked in visual effects. Um, some of his other movies that you might have heard of, um, Gerald's Game, Hush, Legion, Before I Wake, Oculus. His resume is impressive, but we were just here today to talk about his limited series. Um, he likes to implore use of like the long one shots, which I think is so cool. I mm. love when I recognize in a show it's been like, yeah. it's been like five minutes and there hasn't been a new take because it's a reflection of so much talent all around the room from the actors, from the people behind the camera, you know, from a writing perspective, it's, it's just amazing when that happens. Um, there's this, there's yeah. one episode um, of Hill House that's pretty much two long takes where they're walking around the funeral home that Shirley runs. And it is just mesmerizing because you just watch like the perspective shift, but the story's still going. It's like you're there. It's truly like you're a part of the narrative. Right. Um, and he does a lot of like obstructed view shots to to keep you guessing what's Ooh. in the background. Um, Great and the last guy. thing that I feel like he is known for is his characters delivering, delivering monologues. There are at least two or three moments in every series where one character really gets to shine and kind of tell their story in a, in a soliloquy, if you will. Yeah, it's um, very Shakespearean. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. That's a new word for me. So, soliloquy? A soliloquy? soliloquy is when one actor is on stage and he is talking to himself. Oh, so a monologue, pretty much. It is. Yeah. A soliloquy is strictly based one person to himself reflecting. Um, He's not talking and, to anybody else. Oh, so it's like more of an internal it's type of monologue? Okay. Yeah. But okay. it doesn't happen yeah, in yeah. your head. You say it out loud. Mike mm -hmm. Flanagan uses it in a weird way where it's somebody talking not to another character he's talking at another character like oh. whenever a, whenever a mike flanagan character goes into soliloquy they are talking to somebody but not to them they're just talking and somebody else is there <laughs> listening right um but, but they're a famous beautiful. a famous soliloquy is uh to be or not to be from, <laughs> from hamlet, hamlet. Mm -hmm. yeah like mm. that is a very is famous question soliloquy <laughs> he walks on stage with a skull whatever he's like to be or not to be that is the question he's literally asking himself is it worth going on or should i just like die um hmm. which is he's he's talking he's contemplating it to himself he's yeah. talking to himself trying to figure out whether or not he should just die if it's even worth living after everything that he's been through hmm. okay I part of me wishes that soliloquies were like actually what I think Nick thought they were when we were initially <laughs> describing it of like just an actor walking on stage and just thinking to himself yeah. for five like, minutes. Where the F did I put my keys? Where where are my keys? I put I just had them here. <laughs> like, where I, I, like, I like this idea of live theater where oh, the actor's only job for that scene is to look quizzitively to the distance as like overhead of pre-recorded narrative plays. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah. well, clearly this is a thought happening in his head, but we're hearing him think it. So this must be a soliloquy. Now we're getting meta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I feel that feels like a yeah. Bo Burnham yeah, skit. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Idiot, they were just on the counter. What do you? <laughs> what do you mean they're gone? <laughs> so, um, 
The way that I will wrap this up is that there is one thing on the docket for Mike Flanagan that I am very excited about. His next upcoming project is he will be doing an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher, which I think will be amazing. Uh, I don't know if you guys know anything about The Fall of the House of Usher, but... I wish I did. I might have read that in grade school, but I don't know. A little dark for grade school. Well, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) we read The Raven. We read um, Yeah, I mean, The Raven's a lovely poem. This is like, it's a longer winded story for Poe about um, a brother and a sister that live in the house of Usher that summon an unnamed narrator to come help them because... The house is deteriorating and their health is deteriorating. They just, they need somebody to come save them. So they summon a, I don't know. They summon a narrator. I don't know if I can take the name. Yeah. I don't know if I can take the name of this seriously Uh, because like, (laughs) yeah, like immediately, like I'm picturing just like the haunted voice just going to the back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure. Get out of here, man. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, luckily for you, it's their last name. So hopefully it won't come up too much. So is this going to be a Netflix series as well? I don't know that. I don't know where it's going to premiere. I just know that it's happening. It's happening. And very I'm very cool. excited. Well, so thank you so much for entertaining this. Nice. It's pretty good. You did the thing. Nice, nice, nice. I don't ever even do the thing. Nice, 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 nice. Hey, let's do a quick this. Just going to throw it to All that. Right, uh, real cool. quick, can I mention was, the yeah. best one shot in movie history is the entire movie called 1917. If you've seen that. Yes. No, I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Just... The camera's rolling like throughout. I only think there's like one or two oh, yeah. places where you can say, oh, that's a cut. Right. False but, Birdman. Yeah. Next. Let's Bird- get started. Ooh. Birdman is insane. Birdman is actually one yeah. continuous shot. Very purposefully yeah. done. That there is not a mind. single place mm-hmm. in that entire movie where it feels like a cut. Yeah. What's that it movie is about? A Birdman? Madness. It's about Michael fu- Keaton is yeah. uh mm-hmm. he used to be this superhero named Birdman, but now yeah. he's uh a bit of a washed up guy. He's currently performing on Broadway. Um all of his mm-hmm. relationships are estranged. And there's also a question of whether a lot of stuff is real or whether it's just Michael Keaton being super crazy. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's the prequel to Spider Man Homecoming, where he turns into an evil birdman. <laughs> I'm gonna true? start your Alex? goddamn timer before I kick your butt. <laughs> Alex, can you verify that? Timer. <laughs> <laughs> Resident and Spider-Man expert. Go. Yeah. All right. Whoa. So Whoa segue. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, the coldest of opens. Um, <laughs> so we're uh, it's it's the spooky season. We we just spent a while talking about spook being the horror time. Um, Boo. Yeah. Got thank him. you for that. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Jump scare me like that. Come on. In a, in a non-convention- yeah. <laughs> in a non-conventional talk about horror, though, I want to talk about something that happened fairly recently in the line of work that I'm in that is uh pretty scary. The um, scary thing that the scariest thing that Michael can think of yes. is what he's about to talk about. Yep. This is uh, so sad. <laughs> so 
If you haven't been living under a rock, uh, you would have known that within the last few weeks of this episode coming out, there were some big things that happened in tech. Um, one of which being the massive Facebook outage. The other being the Spooky. release and leak of to all of Twitch's basically source code and payment informations. Scary. Um, the, it's <laughs> oh boy i have had i've woken up in cold sweats because of issues directly like this uh, at night uh, <laughs> my Yikes. non-disclosure agreement yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um so i just kind of want to take a look back on like what these things actually were why they're so important why they're actually scary to someone like me uh and like what can possibly happen in the future so real quick let's just go over a quick like synopsis uh the first one that happened was facebook went down uh mm -hmm. basically what ended up happening was is that behind the scenes you've got someone basically controlling what's called like the backbone of the entire like network which essentially all it does is it wires up all the services together so that they can talk to each other because mm -hmm. then you'll have like a server in like india a server in england a server in like east west central america um and there has to be one central system that communicates to everything. Essentially, right. someone who has the access went to go check and see what the global availability is for every single region. And when you're in a computer console, you can accidentally type one letter wrong and you can blow shit up. And that's what <laughs> happened. <laughs> oh, no. And Somebody I know hacked. there were lots of like conspiracy theories around like what like because it was coming right off the back of a big like whistleblower, and I was like they're just they're bringing them down to wipe the to wipe the data and all. And even I thought that for a second. And then when they came out and said like no, this is why I was like yeah, I've been there. <laughs> oh no, yeah, uh, it happens. Yeah, Sounds it happens. like a likely story to me. Yeah. <laughs> One of the funniest parts about it though was that um, because everything on their like campuses is run by this network. Uh, to the point where like all their hardware is controlled by this network, they couldn't even get into their own conference rooms because they couldn't <laughs> ac no. access the network to get in. Right. Um, That's tragic. There were all these yeah. tweets like Facebook employees can't even get into the building because their badge doesn't work. Yeah, apparently Facebook they had employees to call can't even make coffee because their coffee machines hooked up to Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, like apparently they had to call someone with an actual like table saw situation, like 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 a big table to rip and saw open the entryway to their actual server room so that way they could get in to actually fix the problem. Just get some uh, thermite. What are you waiting for? Yeah. Just light that on fire. <laughs> Just blow it up. Yeah. Blow it up. The, problem is. Um, the other... QAnon standing the, uh, outside Facebook with a circular saw like this yeah. is all we need. We were waiting for it too. <laughs> the other the other scary tech situation... Well, first off, real quick, the reason why that like whole thing with Facebook was so freaking scary is because that was not only because of they're like oh you couldn't access facebook or instagram or messenger or whatever the scary one was whatsapp so many countries rely on whatsapp for their core like messaging systems for people to even like talk to each other like we do over text that yep. it basically mm -hmm. shut down like any sort of like mobile communication uh for an entire day um the other one that i'm gonna do like a quick touch on was the twitch one uh Twitch's entire source code got leaked, including like payments and salaries and stuff. And there was lots and lots of problematic stuff that ended up being able to be discerned from that. I already changed our Twitch password, so don't yeah. even try it. <laughs> and one of the biggest things that came from that that a lot of regular people are looking at and realizing is it's really freaking hard to make money on Twitch. Uh, only like the top 0.025% of all streamers on Twitch 
uh, earned more than minimum wage, which is just Oof. absolute insanity. Uh, the other big problematic part that came from it, only three women were in the top 100 earners uh, for the entire thing, which is like super ironic because one of the biggest complaints about Twitch uh, for the last like four years has been like, oh, the women are stealing all the views because they're just showing their boobs, <laughs> um, which is like right. Any successful yeah. female streamer has 10 times more problems promoting their stuff on the front page of Twitch than yep. any male. Yep. Um, but yeah, and like, I think I can speak a little bit more to this one uh, because I've been in side of like, so I, as context, and this is not violating anything, I checked. Um, <laughs> so I previously interviewed, we'll at, if it is. <laughs> I previously interviewed at Twitch a long time ago, about two or three years ago. Uh, and I've previously worked at AWS. Why do I say that? Amazon owns Twitch. AWS is part of Amazon. In fact, it controls all the website stuff. And uh, it really kind of goes to show just kind of like how shitty of a situation it's all in. <laughs> Everything is just like ready to blow up at a moment's notice. And the funniest part about the Twitch one was it was able to be found by a random hacker on for the, the hacker known as 4chan. Oh, um, yes, him. <laughs> yeah, because uh, someone as a joke found out that they could change the images for the like game directories on like the Twitch browsing page uh, to pictures of Jeff Bezos. Um, <laughs> and someone much smarter than them came in and was like, wait, you can touch that part? Oh, I'm going to blow it all up. <laughs> you can touch chaos. all the parts. Yeah. So I love the fact that like this like big reckoning came from someone just trying to basically do a like a shit post on twitch.com. <laughs> incredible yeah that's so, where all the great hacks come from is trying but to shit this, yeah but the big scary part is is that like literally either of these things can happen so easily for any place and you most people have no idea and if mm -hmm. one company owns all of these smaller companies and they go down everything's going yep. down with that them. was a that's a big mm -hmm. problem when i worked at aws like a, a region or something would go down like the big joke is like oh if us1 east goes down because that's the region name uh then like 95 percent of the internet infrastructure is down because that's how much like ownership these sorts of places have of yeah. these situations which is just insane that feels sucks, a little and I hate it because it <laughs> yeah. feels a lot like the housing crisis, but digital, and that's cool. We have a piece of the it's internet. Called it's called EntertainThis.net. <laughs> you guys should go there. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> and it is not powered by AWS, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> well, that's gonna be it for us this month. Thank you, Chloe, for coming on. <laughs> Screw promoting the website. <laughs> How you to pull up out of a nosedive. It's probably going to be down anyways. <laughs> ah! I forgot to pay the bill. Anyway. Come on, Jeff. We're not Jeff. streaming on Twitch. No, uh, we're not streaming on Twitch right now. We replaced streaming on Twitch with streaming on Twitter because Twitch didn't work. Twitch halfway through our stream today. Because we, we, if you didn't know this, live stream each episode that we record. Mm -hmm. um, so people can come in and talk with us if they want. But we switched to Twitter. So now we're streaming on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just fun. That's something yeah. new that StreamYard just added. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Chloe, for coming on and talking to us about Mike Flanagan and all thanks of his stuff that he do. Yeah, thank you. Um, with, his, with his lovely wife. Um, it was a lot of fun. She's lovely. Um, uh, thank you, Michael, for your quick this and your tech insight because the 
tech and entertainment go hand in hand. Twitch is entertainment. Facebook is entertainment, if not poison. Uh, and we're working oh, through God. it. Um, <laughs> so thank you guys so much out there for listening. Uh, thank you, Nick, because I didn't thank you already. And you're here and you're, for being here, you're doing you're doing the Nick stuff, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> Fair enough. Love and trains. And thank thank all of you at home for listening. Entertain This is brought to you by viewers like you. Thank you. Um, if there's anything that you would like to see us cover here on the show, you can send us suggestions. There are a couple of different ways you could do that. You can send us an email. We are entertain this podcast at gmail.com. Or if you don't feel like sending us an email, you can go to our website. The one that I mentioned in the segue that got shut down. It's www.entertainthis.net. You scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a little questionnaire that you can fill out. By the way, the segue didn't get shut down. I just didn't know how to write it into this without thanking people. So I decided to kill it myself. Anyway, uh, we're also on. Exactly. We're also on Twitter. Uh, uh, we're entertain underscore this. You can find us on Instagram. We are entertain this podcast, all one word. We also have a Facebook page. It's podcast entertain this. We post updates there every week with new episodes that come out every Friday at noon. Usually. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. Entertain us. So we entertain you and you. Can entertain this. We'll see you next Friday. <laughs> Bye. 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 This episode of Entertain This was written by Chloe Price, who is also our fact checker and showrunner. Additional commentary was provided by Nick Mustakangas, Michael Savoya, and Alex Steele. Our theme music is Rushable by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening. <laughs>